0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, Phil Goldfeder, still on the post-fast recovery. And here on the Malcolm Siegel Network, welcome to another Thursday morning of political talk. And wanted to get in before the holidays, A, I guess, a mini-episode here, just to talk about the reverberations from the New York State primaries. And I, I guess they can also—we we can infer— some national implications about the nas- the way the Democrats are going um, from these. and I'll get to that in a second. I mean, the big headline news, of course, is that New York State had its primaries this past Tuesday. Um, but the big headline news, of course, is what's going on in Washington with the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court nomination, and a woman has come forward, Christine Blasey Ford, a professor, and trying to upend the nomination. Now, obviously, all allegations of this type, such as assault, should be deemed uh, credible. But the one interesting point here at this point, at this juncture, is that this woman does not want to come in to testify. She wants an investigation first. And it's kind of unclear as to how, um, you know, There, I would give everybody a presumption of truth. But the one problem I have with regard to the way this was handled, particularly by the Democrats, is that Senator Dianne Feinstein had this letter in hand for the entire time, for the entirety of the hearings. And she had it during the time, and she did not use it. She did not talk about it. She did not. Now, yes, the accuser wanted anonymity. And yes, she didn't want to come forward. But is there a duty to the country on the part of Senator Feinstein of California to not bury this and to not bring it up x ex- after the hearings were done? Essentially, to upend a vote, to push a vote off, thereby pushing a the Supreme Court decision after until after the midterm elections, where then the Democrats could claim if they were to take the Senate or if they were to get, uh, have a lot of electoral success. Remember, the Senate right now is 51 49. It's, it's literally on a, it's, it's almost like the New York State Senate, which is essentially being tied. So 51 49. And could they make a claim that, well, you couldn't go ahead and do this nomination, kind of like what was done with Merrick Garland? But this, From my perspective here, this is just—I don't understand how a U.S. senator can sit on this information. Having it in hand, her staff knew about it. There are other people who knew about it. Not a lot of people, a tight circle. A congresswoman from California, she knew about it as well. And to not make these allegations known—and this is kind of the only thing. I mean, I would imagine— That Judge Garland, sorry, Judge Kavanaugh has been subject to extensive vetting, extensive background checks, extensive. I mean, it's almost as if it's almost impossible to be vetted more than this guy has been vetted. And yet, at the 11th hour or the 11 and a half hour, you come forward with this. And very difficult situation for Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley of Iowa to kind of. Balance all the interests here. You want to be fair. You want to take your constitutional oath seriously of advice and consent. And the Senate needs to move in the appropriate way, which I believe is to put the witnesses under oath and to try and ascertain who is credible here and if the story is credible. And as I said, it takes a lot of courage for somebody to come forward with this type of thing. And it takes, and we should take these seri- uh, seriously. Absolutely, we should take them seriously. And for decades, this kind of thing was not taken seriously, particularly when it was done and people would say, oh, it was decades ago. A lot of people dismissed the allegations against Roy Moore that it was decades ago. Didn't matter. But I think a lot of voters in Alabama obviously did feel that it, was, that it did matter, and I think it does matter, but the problem I have with this is not necessarily with the accuser. Where well, the problem I have is with Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, who it seems, it seems was sitting there with an eleventh-hour ambush of this process. And if you had this information in hand, why are you letting the hearings go forward? Why are you sitting on it for so long? In order just to derail the process. And to me, you know, that's the big issue. Well, let's move on to politics. And well, everything is about politics. And you know, strangely enough, at the same time, we see the president really, really going after Jeff Sessions. Um, it, it doesn't, I don't even understand the idea of undermining your appointees. You either get rid of them or you you support them I mean it's kind of this idea of shaming Jeff Sessions into resignation he made it very clear he's not going to resign and we have a similar thing going on in New York State right now with Governor Cuomo and our my friend David Lobel so the situation here and I re- referred to it last week and I wish Phil was here for this kind of thing because this is right up his his alley but the New York State Democratic Party put out a mailer That inferred or implied, excuse me, that Cynthia Nixon was anti Semitic. Or she condoned anti Semitism, which truthfully I think was a stretch. Uh, You know, Cynthia Nixon did sign on to a letter years ago that supported BDS. She supported the boycott of Israel. I think there's an accurate statement there. And we'll get to that in a couple minutes as far as the direction of the Democratic Party. On that issue, a very troubling direction from my point of view. But Cynthia Nixon would probably not be construed or seen as a supporter uh, as an anti-Semite. I mean, that's that's the thing. But yet, the New York State Democratic Party put out this mailer, went out to seven thousand Jewish households before the primary, and you nope, know, it's is it fair? Maybe. But it went out, and then the Cuomo campaign said, well, we had nothing to do with it. And then they decided to throw their former staffer, David Lowell, a, a great guy, a man of character, under the bus. They probably, somebody requested this ma- mailer, and we seem to have emails. The New York Times has been all over this, and your post has been all over this. And they have emails that show that somebody asked for talking points with regard to Cynthia Nixon and Israel. And Cuomo has a strong anti- pro-Israel record. There's no question. He's been to Israel. He he made anti-BDS legislation into an executive order when the New York State Assembly Democrats refused to pass an anti- anti-BDS anti legislation that was passed by the Senate several times. So Governor Cuomo has been there. He has been pro-Israel. And David Lobel did a rightly contrast the two in their attitude towards Israel. The, but... Then they go ahead and throw somebody under the bus. They say, well, we, we had nothing to do with it. This was the kind of a rogue operation from a former operative. Well, this is your guy. He might not be working in the government anymore, but he's your guy. I, I, to me, I, I can't get over the idea constantly that throwing your people under the bus, it doesn't help you. It makes you look it makes you look like you are not supporting your people and they're your people. Those are the people that you have empowered. Those are the people as a elected official or as a candidate, those are the people that you have brought on and that's a reflection. Now if the administration hires somebody and they vet them, they bring them on. It's hard to say, turn around and say, Well, we got nothing to do with this person. David Lobel worked for Governor Cuomo for 7 years. And he worked and he and by all accounts Republicans and Democrats. David Lobel has been a excellent representative of Governor Cuomo. Excellent. Has taken his job seriously, has done it diligently, has done a tremendous amount for the governor. In the Jewish community. And then to kind of throw him to the dogs on this, very troubling. And it's similar, it's not dissimilar from what Trump is doing right now to Jeff Sessions. Obviously, Jeff Sessions is in office. He is the Attorney General. The gravity is is so much more. But we don't stand by your people and you publicly shame them. They're your people. It's a reflection on you. It's surprising. So let's get for a second. We're the back to that mailer, and what does that mean? And what does that mean for the Democratic Party? So this past Tuesday, okay, yes, Governor Cuomo won, and Tish James won in a four-way race for attorney general. And at the same time, you had the IDC, the Independent Democratic Conference. And we've talked about them in the past. These were. Uh, moderate Democrats who had caucused both uh, with with the Republicans, not caucused with the Republicans, who had made a power-sharing agreement in the state Senate with the Republicans, led by Senator, former, or soon-to-be former Senator, Jeff Klein of the Bronx and Westchester. And there were eight members of the IDC, of the Independent Democratic Conference, which had folded back into the mainstream Democratic Conference In a political deal, which goes down, I think, is one of the worst political deals ever in the history of politics, because essentially the deal was, okay, you guys come back and we won't fight you anymore. We won't take you out. But yet every single one of the IDC Democrats or former IDC Democrats had a primary and six of them lost because they were doing that. So it seems as if the political suicide pact that existed, it just doesn't, well, it kind of defies any, any logic any type of intelligent, intelligence on the part of the IDC people and their strategists and what they were hoping to accomplish. Jeff Klein, I'm sure, was shocked. He spent about $2 million on this primary that he had with Alexandra Biagi. And that these what has happened here, and is that the far progressive wing or the far left wing of the Democratic Party has essentially taken over Democratic primaries. And they're looking—what you you have now is avowed socialists. You have pro-BDS Democrats, Democrats that are openly hostile to Israel. In New York State, we have candidates running not just Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but this woman, Julia Salazar, in Brooklyn— and others who are openly hostile to Israel, who have who make statements and say that we well we pro, we are pro BDS. It's not enough that the New York State Assembly won't pass an anti BDS legislation. Kind of they're passive on on BDS. They're passive on boycotting Israel. And make no mistake, boycotting Israel is anti-Semitic. Picking out Israel from all the countries of the world for boycott, for sanctions, for divestment is anti-Semitic. It essentially says that the Jews Jewish people are not entitled. To a state, it doesn't say let's boycott the, the territories, let's boycott the West Bank, let's boycott Judea and Samaria. It says let's boycott Israel. Let's not have academic, not allow academic exchange. In fact, this week or this past week, a student who wanted to go learn a semester abroad at the University of Michigan was denied a letter of recommendation by their school. I believe that that was the University of Michigan was denied a letter of recommendation because they wanted to do it in Israel, and that department boycotts Israel. That means you can't. Israel is kind of well. It's it's a pariah. You can't you can't uh, deal with Israel. That's anti-Semitic. That says Jewish people off limits. And what you've seen now in this primary in the move of the Democrats the left, we started to see with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. We see it with um, a, a, in Minnesota, uh, Islamic woman, a Somali woman, I'm sorry, Muslim Somali woman who is openly hostile to Israel. called Israel Evil. She is likely to be the next congresswoman from the seat that was formerly occupied by Keith Ellison, or soon to be formerly occupied. We're always in transition stages here. And it's extraordinarily troubling if you're looking at this. And yes, as a Republican, I could say, I could be gleeful. I could turn around and say, this is great. Look how far the Democrats are distancing distancing." themselves from Israel and look how they are distancing themselves from the Jewish people that's terrible from my point of view there is no nothing that I want as far as political advantage here that says that I want more people out there to be hostile to Israel to be hostile to the Jewish people and that's essentially what's going on now the funny thing is that Julia Salazar has lied about her own heritage she claims to be Jewish uh, we don't know exactly how. We don't know exactly what. The amazing this woman in Brooklyn, Julia Salazar, who you know put herself out as a socialist, Democrat, progressive, etc. I mean, has a resume that you wouldn't believe and incredible historical accuracies. But the general trend from what I'm talking about is that we see now in the Labour Party in the UK, which is an extreme example, where really Jews or anybody supporting. Uh, supporting Israel is it, 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 they're openly hostile. And in fact so much that you know the, the former Chief Rabbi Sachs has essentially said that Corbyn, the head of the Labour Party, poses a threat to Jewish life in the United Kingdom. 40% of British Jews told pollsters they would consider emigrating if Corbyn is elected. 40%. And that could, we could look at that as possibly a trend here. I mean, and we have openly anti-Israel politicians, as I said, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She might claim that she's ignorant of the issues, which she did on TV. But Rashida Tlaib I'm in, in Michigan, and Ilan Omar in Minnesota. And, you know, we let's not think, rem, let's remember Linda Sarsour, Okay, the hero of the women's movement from Brooklyn, who has run in the past, who is openly hostile, I believe, not just to Israel, but to Jews as well. And now it seems that the Democrat and the Democratic Party is somewhat in denial about this, because if you look at it, okay, so Cuomo put out this mailer kind of alerting Jews to the hostility of the progressive left towards Israel, and the response has been this incredible blowback on that regard. Now, I would have preferred and of course Cuomo, you know, runs for cover on this, and a lot of people have run for cover on this. What I would have thought here is what they what they should have done essentially has said let's not just make this about Cynthia Nixon, let's make this about the left in general, the progressive left in general, all these other people, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Julius Salazar, and that's it, openly hostile to Israel, and that would have been an effective other. Why limited at that? And what's happening here is essentially a weakening of anti BDS legislation. Particularly at the federal level, we see that some of the Jewish organizations wanting to make something that is more palatable to Democrats are watering down their current legislation. And that should be very troubling. What's also troubling here, and we talked about this, is the treatment of Simcha Felder. Now, the I- irony of with regard to Senator Simcha Felder, who was who got sixty-three percent of the vote with a massive turnout, really massive turnout in w- amongst the frum community. I think thirteen and a half or fourteen thousand votes, which is a huge number. You have to remember that most many people in the Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn do not consider themselves to be Democrats even if they're registered as such, they actually look at themselves, you know, as they're willing to vote for Republicans, they're willing to vote for Democrats. And generally, the turnout with regard to Democratic primaries has been small, has been smaller. In fact, Simcha Felder got twice the number of votes this time that he did last time around, and he needed it because his challenger got almost 8,000 votes. And these were huge turnouts, and he really did. But the firm community really rallied around him. I could say we could even do better, or we should do better, because there's no reason that not everybody should vote, especially in a situation like this, where Simcha is essentially being attacked for defending his constituents and what his constituents want. And, you know, there's this idea amongst the Democratic Party, or some of the Democratic Party, that Simcha Felder should support them or should support people in other districts or what their wants and their agenda and their policy. Instead, he should support his own constituents. But the funny thing here is that Democratic politicians like Andrew Cuomo and Tish James benefited tremendously from the large turnout in Bar Park and Flatbush for Simcha. Both of them won those areas very handily because if you're going out to vote for governor, you're not going to vote for Cynthia Nixon, who's viewed as hostile to Israel and hostile to the from community. And And Tish James did a very effective job of courting the orthodox vote and she has long relationships there and the funny thing is that the white ethnic vote which usually the orthodox community falls into in new york city largely voted for sean patrick Maloney. T- the orthodox community was the exception in there so simcha certainly helped tish james and cuomo in their primary victories of course there'll probably be no love for him because of that. But there should be. There should be tremendous because there's no question that the Democratic Party benefits from having Simcha Felder in their tent. Now, they might not benefit from him in Albany in the Senate, but they benefit from having somebody who is more conservative in their tent. There is no reason, it doesn't make any sense to me, why you would want to throw out somebody with such a large constituency, with such a large base. But essentially, what the Democrats have said is, to a lot of people in the front Green, the least, the message is that you are not welcome, that your views are not welcome, that your views in school choice are not welcome, that your views on Israel are not welcome, that your views with regard to social issues are not welcome, with regard to traditional values, they are not welcome. And unfortunately, that's been a case since both parties are like that. Both parties have kind of gone to this orthodoxy. Now, I would make a case that New York State Republicans are far more moderate than New York State Democrats are. New York State Democrats used to have a very moderate wing, and they are moving, particularly with after these primaries, far, far to the left and quickly. And people should take notice of that. People need to understand the danger on the left here. People in our community, here in the orthodox community, need to understand the danger on the left and how it is affecting politics both at a federal level and at a state level, this is actually making a big difference with support for Israel and support for Jewish issues out there. And it's something we need to grapple with and we need to think about and we need to consider as we move forward into the midterm election season. That's it here for this week here on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Michael Fragan here on Spin Class. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.